Ephesians chapter 6. And tonight for our study, we're going to be uh, focusing in on the second half of verse 17, but just for the sake of getting the whole context, we're going to start reading in verse 14 all the way through 17. So go to verse 14 of chapter 6 in Ephesians. Verse 14 starts like this. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time around your word. I pray, Lord, that you would use it tonight to open up minds and eyes and hearts to your glory that is found inside of it. I ask God that we would realize how important your word is, not just to the world, not just to the church, not just to studying it and learning, not just to us, Father, but this is your living and active word. May it go forth tonight and not come back void. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a, a common saying that you don't know what you have until it's gone. Or you don't know what you have until it's already too late. For the most part, it is basically easy for humans around the world to fall into a neglectful and complacency attitude with things that become commonplace and normal to them. And not realizing, not realizing how important these things are until they're gone or until it's too late taking those things for granted. I don't know how much you know about the current situation in the church that is going on across America, but it is a chaotic time for the church here in the United States. And I would submit to you this, that it has little to do with race, has little to do with where you come from, Little to do with you want to wear a mask or not. Little to do with who the president is and who you think the president should be. It has everything to do with the word of God being neglected in his churches. In the church in the United States, there is a neglect of the scriptures, an abandonment of its authority in our lives, and an ignorance of its power. Tonight, my hope in focusing on this half verse here, my hope is to encourage you and to stir up your affections towards the Word of God. Not just to help you know how important it is, so then you can leave here and go on neglecting it, and just remember, it's important in the back of your mind, but that you would comprehend it and feel the importance of the Word of God that it has for you and all of your life. So, let's look at the second half of verse 17 again. 
and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God has an owner. The Word of God has a creator, a sustainer, an owner, a wielder of this sword. And it is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fashioned it and molded the metal. He has kept the edges sharp while others try to dull it. And on every page and in every line, it is stamped property of the Holy Spirit. And ever since words had hit stone, and ink had hit animal skin, and ink had hit paper, it has been the Holy Spirit skillfully wielding His Word to pierce the hearts of men and women, girls and boys from every tongue, tribe, and nation on earth. If you were to Google the most destructive weapon known to mankind, they would tell you, probably, that it is the SAR bomber. It's a nuclear bomb. It does destructive power. It's pretty devastating. But I would submit to you tonight that there is no greater weapon, nothing more destructive to the forces of darkness than the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in the hands and in the mouths of God's people. Let me say that one more time. There is no greater destructive force to the evil darkness in this world than the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in the hands and in the mouth of God's people. By it, sinners are saved, saints are instructed and comforted, and the church lives by its rule for all things concerning faith and practice. Tonight, I want to look at this element of the armor, the only offensive weapon that we have. Realize this, that everything so far in this armor of God has been defensive. It's to keep you safe. It's to keep you sound. It's to keep you comforted. It's to keep you trusting and faithful in God, standing firm, but this is the only offensive weapon that is listed here in verse 17. And so I would like to point out three ways, or three, three kinds of importance that this has. First, it would be the importance to the rest of the armor, how it ties in with that. Secondly, be, secondly would be its importance to the life of the believer, and third, its importance to the church. So firstly, its importance to the rest of the armor of God. Look, we're going to just roll through it pretty quickly. Look back at verse 14. Truth. Do you need the word of God to know and believe that there is a God? No. You do not need the word of God to know and believe that there is a God. My favorite story to illustrate this would be of one of my old pastors. Before he was a Christian... He told the story of a time that he was in college and he found himself lying face up on a beach, drunk. And he looked into the dark vastness of space and he could just not fathom that there is not a God. He looked up at the stars and he said, there has to be a God. And then he got up and he went home and he slept off his stupor and he went on with the rest of his life. You do not need the word of God to know that there is a God. 
tribes all over the world have tried counterfeits of our God. Not because they had the scriptures or knew the Israelites, but because creation screams that there is a creator, that there is something more. Creation shows off his power and his glory and his nature. We find this in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 where he says, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them and God has made it evident to them. For since the creation, the world has... Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood throughout, uh, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Remember this morning that I said that truth here in verse 14 is not directly talking about the word of God. This is the knowledge of truth, understanding that we are on the right side of truth, that what our God has said is true, who he is is true, and what he has given us is true. But I submit to you this, you cannot know, intimately know God in a saving, redeeming relationship without the word of God. Knowledge that there is a God doesn't put you in any different category than anything else. You are still fallen sinful, and rebellious. Acknowledging that there is a God does not save you. But to know God personally can only be done through His Word. Saying that you know God without reading His Word is like saying that you have a best friend that you've only talked to through Facebook. It's not a true friendship. You don't actually know the person. You have not been face-to-face. You have not had a full-on conversation. That is what this is. This is the closest you get to Jesus Christ, this side of glory. He is the Word. Without the Word, without the sword of the Spirit, your heart and mind, in your heart and mind and in your hand, the devil need only gently push and all everything, everything else in your life will come tumbling down. Again, verse 17, righteousness. How does the word of God relate to righteousness? We arm ourselves with Christ's righteousness, but how would you know of his life? How would you know of his birth and of his death and his resurrection? How would you know what he is doing in heaven heaven, interceding for you now without the word of God? You would have no knowledge of this Christ. No knowledge of a savior. No knowledge of someone to call out to when you are at your lowest or at your most desperate or most broken or most convicted. It would just be like everyone else in the world. Find something else to distract yourself with. Find something else that makes you happy for a season or for a time. We would not have it. There would be no breastplate to dawn of his righteousness without it being molded and reinforced by his word. Verse 15, the gospel of peace. It is said that seeing is believing, but I ask you this. Where would you remind yourself of the peace that Christ bought without the word? 
Do you think that the enemy would simply let you look at creation and be reminded of the peace you have with Christ? Would he simply let you look inside yourself and remember the peace that you have with Christ or look to others? Friends, if we did not have this word in front of us, we could not remind ourselves. We are so forgetful. One of the most repeated commandments in the Old Testament is remember. Because we are so forgetful, brothers and sisters. You cannot look inwardly. You cannot work out, look outwardly. You must look to his letter. There are countless testimonies of Christians who have been imprisoned, taken away from their families, and the one thing, if they got one thing to request, the one thing they would ask for is not a, fa- a, a visit from a family member, not a visit from a friend, not some time out in the sunshine. They have always request, requested at the top of her list, give me a portion of John's gospel. Give me a portion of Romans. Give me chapter 8. Give me chapter 9, 10, 11, 12. Give me chapter 1. Give me a portion of the scripture. Why? Because every Christian needs something to see, to remember, to put into words how they are feeling or how they should feel. To remind yourself of the gospel of peace without the word of God would be an impossible task. Christians are people of the book. Make no mistake. You are a person of the book. You are saved by this book. You are reminded by this book. You are emboldened by this book. You are encouraged by this book. Without the Bible, or excuse me, in the Bible we read this. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. That's Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Imagine just having that portion, reminding yourself, I'm at peace with God. I have faith in Christ. Through Him, I have all things. I stand firm in this grace that He has lavished on me. The devil can do nothing with that. He can't attack that. You don't have peace with God because you don't measure up. No, I have peace with God exactly because I don't measure up. Because Christ has measured up. And he has freely given me his righteousness. You have peace with God. Verse 16, faith. Faith is the flower that grows out of the ground of the scripture. It is born and watered and nurtured by the Holy Spirit. Faith is an act of God in the life of a believer. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. It is a gift given to you. Every time we need to stand behind our shield, we are actively trusting, not our own opinions. Every time we lift up that shield of faith, we are trusting in what is written in this book. No other place, no other rhyme or reason, no cute little quote on on Twitter or on Facebook or anywhere else. You look at this book and you say, This is my faith. Every time you lift up that shield of faith, it is trusting in what is written in this book, not what some guy or some gal said one time. You're trusting in his word. Without the word, what will we trust? What will we have faith in? Verse 17, the helmet of salvation. Christians are only saved by the work of 
the Spirit and the Word of God in the heart of men and women. There is no other way by which you can be saved other than the Holy Spirit drawing you to Himself and then putting the Word of God in front of your face. Whether it be a preacher, whether it be a friend, or whether it be a portion of Scripture, those two are always actively working together. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. They are a package deal. Paul makes this clear in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. He says, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. The sword of the Spirit is not the whole armor of God, but without it, you would not know of this armor. Think about that. It's not all the, wor- or it's not all the armor of God. It's not the only piece that you need, but without it, you would not know of the armor that protects you. You would not know what to put your faith in, your trust in, how confident to be. You would not know of your Savior. You would not know that you have a problem that desperately needs saving. The Word of God upholds and reinforces our armor. And it puts fear into the heart of the devil. Because when the Word is spoken, the Spirit is working. Remember with me, what weapon did Jesus pull When he was tempted by the devil. It was the word of God. What should have Adam and Eve. Reached for. Held on to. Clinged with all their might. When the serpent slithered his way into the garden. It was the word of God. It was the word of their creator. Created out of the dust of the ground. The first thing they see. Is God. And he tells them, I've I've made this garden for you. I have so much for you to do. There's so much for you to eat. Try this. Look at this. This is a peach. This is an apple. Try this. You've never had this before. And he went around the garden in the cool of the day, walking with Adam and Eve. And there's one tree out of an entire garden. Don't eat of it. For in that day you will surely die. And Adam and Eve let go of those words. Put the two together, Christ and Eve. You must hold dearly and closely to this word or the armor does not become effective and hold up. It is reinforced by the word of God. Secondly, the importance of the word of God and the spirit in the life of the believer. Let me ask you this question. This book that you hold in front of you, or if you have it on your phone, whatever it might be, this book, do you live by it, and would you die for it? That has been a banner that Christians have lived under for 2,000 years. And I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to be like an impactful speaker and have you get deep thoughts and just, oh, that was so great. I'm serious. Right now, 
Like, just be honest with yourself, in your heart, and with God. Is this the book you live by and are willing to die for? Let me give you some biblical reasons why this is so important to you in the life of of a believer. Number one, this is our spiritual food and our life. Jesus being tempted said this, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Is that how you feel about this book? Spiritual food, nourishment, it is life. It is more important in your spiritual life than food or water. It is our only, only rule of faith and practice. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped and adequately prepared for every good work. Everything that you need to be an effective and faithful Christian is found in this book. I am not pressing upon you to be some super Christian. I don't want you to be the next, well, I kind of do, but I'm not saying that you have to be the next Apostle Paul. I'm not saying that you have to walk out of here and become a missionary and go to some unreached people, to some unreached place, and copy the word of God and give it to him, watch them receive his word and his spirit and be lit up with joy in that pursuit. I am not worried about so much what you do with your life. I am more worried what you do with your faith. And that will affect your life, sure. But everything you need to be an effective and faithful Christian is in this book. How well do you know it? How much have you read it? How much do you hunger and thirst for it? By this book, the believer weighs his own heart. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division between soul and spirit. Didn't know that that could happen, but apparently it can. As far as soul and spirit, both joint and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Old Testament says that the heart is desperately wicked. And the cry is, who can understand it? John Calvin said that the heart is a factory for idols. How do you weigh your intentions? When it comes time for you to court or to date someone, how well do you weigh your intentions with the word of God? Or are you just going off of the new trend? When you decide to go this place or that place to do this or to do that, how well do you know your own intentions or are you blindfully like a Disney movie just letting your heart go and falling blindly after it? How much do you take your heart and plop it down on the scales of Scripture and say, weigh it, Lord, seek me, search me, find me, show me the things that are wrong and help me get the right. If you try to do that with anything else, 
anything else, the scales are tipped. You will not properly weigh your intentions or your heart without this word. With it, we judge others. Yes, we judge others and ourselves. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. This is the one people love to say you shouldn't judge by. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the same way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. If you are using, and just, I'm just put this out here, okay? Everybody judges everybody, okay? This verse is not necessarily talking about this evil, wicked, no evidence judgment that some people have. Judgment is a thing we are supposed to have. How do you know what is righteous and what is wicked? You have to make a judgment. Just a few verses on in chapter 7 of uh, of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, you literally have to what? Spot out false teachers. How will you know them? By their fruit. What is their fruit? It's what they do. That's judging someone. Friends, if you are judging yourself or someone else by any other measure but Scripture, expect to, be, expect to be measured by that. We rightly judge ourselves and others in a loving and kind way by using this book. This book, in and of itself, in the Holy Spirit, has never prompted someone to judge someone unlovingly. That's a flesh thing. That's someone taking it beyond what Scripture has said and making it evil. This book is a loving judge that points out you need a Savior. On this word, we build our lives and stand firm. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 25. Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine, so end of Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. There's another really important analogy in 1 Corinthians 5, I believe it is. Where you take, the, Paul is talking about the ministry that people are doing. He's saying, you, you have been saved. That, that doesn't change. But what will you do? What will you build on top of that foundation? And he uses analogies like wood and hay. And he says, you will, those things will be tested by fire. And what remains is good. And though it might hurt, what is taken away was wrong. Friends, I seriously ask you this. Have you built your life on the rock? This word, it's not some unknown thing. It's right here. It's in most of your laps. You all know, most of you might know, what happens to the other person who hears these words of Christ and does not build their life on them, build their life on the sand. And the winds came, and the floods came, they slammed up against that house, and great was its fall. I am not here to tell you this. Hear me clearly. I am not some legalist that 
I'm not going to leave here and tell you, listen, the application for this is that you must read 10 chapters of the Bible every day. Side note, people actually do that. And it's amazing. But that's not your forte. That is not what Scripture, the Bible, or I am going to command you or ask you to do. You do not need to read 10 chapters of the Bible every day. But I will tell you this. I fully believe it is a Christian's responsibility to interact with the Word of God on a daily basis in some way. In some way. It may be small or great or in the middle. I beg you, it is your responsibility to interact with this Word in some way every single day. How will you grow when you neglect the Bible? Neglecting the Bible is neglecting your soul. It is the neglect of joy and peace. You don't want joy in your life? Don't read this book. You don't want peace in your life? Don't read this book. But the opposite is true. You will not have joy and peace. It is a neglect of joy and peace if you do not understand the spiritual things that are written in this book. I said it before. This is the closest thing you get to Jesus Christ, this side of glory. These pages. You say you want to live like Christ? You want to follow him? Want to be like the first century church? There's all this talk for for the last five years in the church. It's it's so annoying to me. Because it's, oh, we just want to live like the church, and so we abandon all these other things. No, if you want to live like Jesus Christ, you have to know his word. If you want to be like Jesus Christ, you have to know Jesus Christ. And the only place to know Jesus Christ is in this book. From first cover to last. It's all Christ. You get the picture of God by reading this book. Letting anything else have this much authority in your life will ruin you. Okay? You let school have this much authority in your life, it will consume you. Friends consume you. What, how many likes you get on social media consume you. Your job consume you. Your wife or your husband consume you. Your kids consume you. Anything else that has this much authority on your life will utterly destroy you. It will run you dry. But this word will bind you up. It will bolster you up. It will send you forward. It will never tear you down unless there is a sin issue hiding that it rips out. And then it binds you up. And then it heals you. And then it saves you over and over and over again. The Spirit reminds us of our adoption in Christ through the Word. Now, most people find, most Christians, I should say, find rogue Bible reading uninteresting. I understand that, okay? But did you know that when a Roman soldier trained with his sword, he did not simply practice robotic swinging and singing, one, two, three, one, two, three. Wouldn't that be completely ridiculous? Then why would you do that with the word? This is not a robotic thing. I think you should be in the word every day. I already said it. Okay, I'm not saying you shouldn't be in the word. But, but how have you tested the word? A Roman soldier does not stand there robotically. One, two, three, one, two, three. What does he do? He finds something to chop through to see what it feels like. 
How is it going to be when I stab this or hit this? What is this going to be like? He practices. He finds new ways to test that sword so that it becomes more steadfast, more firm. He becomes more comfortable with it in his arms. By the time he gets to the battlefield, the enemy doesn't stand a chance. Not because he practiced robotically and roguely. Do not read your Bibles like that. Yes, set up a time to read your Bible. Yes, carve out time in your day and neglect something else so that you can be in this book. But friends, it does not mean you have to read 10 chapters. It does not mean you have to read through the Bible in a year. It does not mean you have to read through the Bible five times in a year or in two years. I am telling you, I am begging you, get a verse and memorize it for a week. Write it on your mirror. Put it on your phone. Whatever you have to do to remind yourself of some promise, put up Romans 5. Put up those verses you read in your devotionals this morning. Ask questions of the word. When was the last time, and I, and I get it, I get you guys are pressed for time. Listen, I, I, I didn't go to college, in case you can't tell. I didn't go to college, okay? Um, I, I understand deadlines. I understand writing things and getting them in on time. I get that. And I get that you guys are stressed when it comes to those things. But when was the last time, instead of just finishing an assignment to get it done and turn it in, you measured it against the Word of God? That's interacting with the Word of God. That's saying, okay, they're saying this, Google, it's the best thing in the world. What does the Bible say about X, Y, Z? And then don't go to some like, like blog post that has no scripture in it, okay? Find some Bible verses and say, yeah, it doesn't line up. Turn in the assignment, sure. But just know that as you will go in along, you are training yourself in righteousness. You are training yourself to think like Christ and not like the world. You are transforming your mind when you do that. And you're interacting with the word of God. You're not just one, two, three. You're, what is this like? Okay, what is this going to be? You're interacting with that sword. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You won't find transformation on TikTok. You won't find transformation on Snapchat or Facebook. I don't know what you guys use. I feel old. I'm only 28, but I don't, I don't know what you guys use. But you won't find transformation there. You find it in the Word. You find it by interacting, by asking questions. You find it by finding verses that comfort you when you're in distress. And I think one of the better things that you can do, if you're pressed for time, I know you got time I know you got time to read your Bible, so I, don't, I hate saying this, but I, I know you got time to at least listen to some music. Friends, find some good biblical music. You don't have to listen to hymns all day, okay? Uh, you can listen to music. Music is fine. I'm not against music. I like music. That's not Christian. I, I'm, I'm not saying that. But find, if you are pressed for time, find some biblical good doctrinal music and listen to it. Go to Sovereign Grace Music. Listen to it. Look up old hymns by reformers. All the reformers like wrote songs. Listen to them. 
Go find a mighty fortress as our God by Martin Luther and sing it and know it. I'll give you a quick example of, of, of kind of everything I've been talking about and just, just a little rant. I feel like I can, I can rant with you guys just for a minute. Uh, you guys might not like this. I don't know what your song preference is. But, um, and again, I'm not laying down law here, but I, I personally don't like Bethel music or um, what's the other one? Oh, Hillsong. I don't really like those guys. Okay, just calm down, all right, calm down. But, 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 listen, it's not their songs. I, 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 on, okay, just honest opinion right now, okay? Uh, it's not their songs, it's just their churches, okay? It's their doctrine, okay? Oh, we're, okay, I got a lot of, okay, anyway. But, but, I love, I absolutely love the song, Reckless Love. Except, don't, don't, don't sorry. except, except for one word. I hate the word reckless, okay? I think, thank you. I'm, I got one brave person. Listen, I, I think, I, when I sing that song, if you're ever next to me when we're singing it or whatever it might be, I always sing relentless instead of reckless. It's three syllables, but you can make it work, okay? Here, here's the thing. I, I care about the picture of God that my music paints of him, okay? I care about the picture of God that my music paints of him. When I'm singing worship songs, I want songs that are rooted in the word. They don't have to double guess. They don't have to understand that doesn't make sense. It doesn't paint a good picture of God. And gosh, just relentless, it, re, relentless love is such a better picture. If you put relentless love in that, in, in that verse, it pulls everything together. It's not reckless. He's not, he's not banging through stuff. God is always precise. Not a single Adam has been wasted since the beginning and until the end. Your life is not a reckless love. It is a relentless love. He will never stop pursuing you. But friends, that's the type of music that I want to be encouraged by. If I don't have time in my day to read his word, I'm probably lying to myself, but I listen to some hymns. I listen to some hymns. Every night, uh, it's kind of a tradition in our house, every night, when I put my kids to bed, they, they each have an individual song that I, I sing a, a small part. Not a good singer, but I, I sing a small part to them. Um, j- just because I, I want them to know. I want them to have a tune in their mind that is truth before they go to bed. Sometimes it's, I sing it robotically because I'm just wanting them to go to bed so I can go downstairs and relax. But nonetheless, I sing it to them anyway. The Holy Spirit has lovingly let you handle his word. He has lovingly put it into your hands and into your hearts and into your minds. Using it against the forces of darkness brings light to a dark world. When other college peers or professors attack the Bible or attack your faith, Do not be afraid to say, God has said it. It is true. I don't know why that we are so afraid to fall back on an age-old concept. God has said it. It is true. Well, show me. It's the most reliable document in the world right now. You don't even need to say that to them, though. You have to tell them, no, 
you have to tell me why you think this isn't true. You're going to have to deal on the last day with what I'm telling you right now. Friends, don't be ashamed to say, God has said it, it is true. When they say, where's your proof? Hold up the book. It's been preserved, though it's been tried to be wiped out. It is still sharp on both sides, even though it has been tried to be dulled. God has spoken. Where else are you going to lay your life down at? Where else are you going to put your flag on your hill? What, what hill? what other hill will you die on? Let it be none other than this. John Calvin said, a dog barks when an enemy is at the door. Why would I not bark when they attack my God and my book? Now, before we move on to that third point, the, the importance of it to the church, I do want to warn you about something. Some of you in here tonight, some of you in here tonight need to hear what I've just said. I love you, but you are neglectful of the word. You find little interest in it, and you read it very little. I would ask you to think very hard about why that is. Why you neglect this word that has been not only stamped with the property of the Holy Spirit, but soaked in blood to get it to you here today. When you think about why you have no interest in the, the Word of God or why you read it little, make some changes. Not in the flesh, okay? Don't, don't just rogue, but make some changes. Ask God. Pray to Him. We'll talk about this tomorrow morning, so you, don't worry about it. But make some changes. Find a verse memorize it. Don't do Jesus wept. Okay? Don't find, don't find your two, two word verses. Guys, find a verse and memorize it. But, so there's some of you here who, who need to hear what I just said. But, there are some of you here tonight who need to hear this. So listen carefully. If you are not in the category of not interested, read it very little, listen to me on this, because this could be you. This is James chapter 1, verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror, and once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of a person he was. But one who looks intently to the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, having not become a forgetful hearer but an, uh, but an, um, an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does." Some of you know your Bibles really, really well, but you neglect to listen to your Bibles while you listen to your Bibles. Does that make sense? You're hearing it. You're storing it away. You could give me book, chapter, verse, but you're not listening. You seem to sit maybe in your ivory tower reading your Bible while the poor ask for help. Children need someone to look up to. Friends struggle with depression. 
and the, and the devil attacks in the classroom. But thank God, at least I read my Bible. Friends, reading his word and letting it have no effect on your life is just as bad as knowing you should read the word and not reading it. You're not in a different camp than the people I talked about before. You guys are in the same camp. James chapter 2, verse 17. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Do something with your faith. Do something with it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Colossians 3.16. Okay, quickly. Third and finally, the words, the word and the Spirit's importance to the church. Okay, I'm not talking about like your church that you go to. I'm talking about capital C Church Universal. For starters, without the word... And the Spirit, there is no church. If I had a mic not attached to my face, I would drop it. Because without the Word and without the Spirit, there is no church. If that's not important, like food and water, like you know that's important. Why? Because if you don't have it or drink it or eat it, you die. Same thing. Whenever the word of God is replaced in the church and in the pulpits of preachers, she will, she, the church, will bleed dry. She loses all of her life and gains the world. She becomes more attentive to sinful and carnal men's hearts, doing a little song and dance like a sideshow monkey, rather than preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. The word of God is at the heart of the church. Remove it and his bride dies and he will come for you. The church that goes out into the highways and into the streets proclaiming, come and see, we are just like you. No different than the world. Come, look what we have. Look at this and look at that. It's just like the things you guys like. You come in. The church that does that bears no spiritual fruit unless by the grace of God he saves somebody. But rather the church that proclaims with the psalmist, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. That church bids people to come and taste what they have never tasted before. That church bids people to come and see what they have never seen before. It is that type of church is attracted to the world or to the world because of the word and the spirit draws them. You do not need to conform yourself to the world, to draw them into Christianity. That defeats the whole purpose. We are not of this world. Our world is another kingdom. Our king reigns on high over the entire universe. Why would you want to be like the rest of the world? 
Why would you want to pull people into the gospel like the way people pull, like, like they pull people in to Walmart or to Target or some event or something like that? Come and see, we're just like you. We'll tickle your ears and entertain you while you go straight to hell at the end of the day. The church should be starkly different than the world. This is the function, the, the purpose of the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, And the people were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The apostles' teaching was the word of God. The apostles did not get up there and give their opinions. They died for the things they said. They were killed. Why? Because they wanted to entertain people? No, because they had a message that would save people and it's worthy of dying for. Paul, Paul tells Timothy, I solemnly charge you to give your opinion. No. I solemnly charge you to pull people in by any means necessary. No. I solemnly charge you to do whatever you can to make people feel comfortable so they don't squirm in their seats and don't cling to a Savior. No. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the and the dead by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. That means it's going to take a while. That means you're going to have to repeat yourself over and over and over again. I've been a Christian for 11 years and I can tell you I have said the same things to different people over and over again and I have said the same things to the same people over and over again. It takes patience. Just wait till you have children. You will understand. You tell them the same thing, sometimes moments apart. Preaching the word of God to people takes patience. But it is a solemn charge for every pastor, preacher, and Christian to take up. Without the Word and the Spirit, the church is lost, walking down the same broad road as everybody else. But with the sword and with the Spirit, no matter the time, season, place, or year, she is the light of the world, a city set on a hill, a beacon of hope for all weary pilgrims to come and drink and rest and refresh. So I ask you this in closing. At the end of your days, when you think on your interaction with the Word, if you, have, if you will be blessed to die a comfortable death, and you have time to reflect before you go to heaven, will you say, I never behold its power. I didn't live under its rule. And now it's far too late. Or will you stand firm in the word? With the word in your hand and the spirit in your heart and unleash the word on the world. Last thing, I promised him. Last thing. I had a friend ask me, some of you actually might know her, Grace Rail. Uh, she, she asked me to do this little video thing, and, and, and she asked, um, tell me why you do what you do. Why get up and, and do what you do preaching? 
And I can tell you this, I, I didn't grow up in a, a, a Christian home, uh, didn't know God until I was 17 years old, and I had destroyed my family relationships, uh, joined a gang, was on drugs, stealing from my mom to pay for my drug habit at 15 years old, got sent away to a boy's home, met Jesus Christ at 17, and I can tell you this, the first, one of the first things that popped in my the first thing that popped in my mind is that my whole life was leading up to this moment, and I'm so, God that, so glad that God is sovereign and in control of everything and brought me to this point. But the second thought that closely followed after that is, why hadn't I heard this before? Why hadn't I heard about this Savior before? Why hadn't I heard his word just open and preach before? I tell you this, if you are looking for a home church wherever you graduate or wherever you go, and you are looking for something that makes you feel somewhat comfortable, rather than looking for somewhere where they open up this word, and whether maybe not so gracefully, maybe more gracefully than others, they open up this word and desperately try to tell you what's in it. Why? Because it will change your life. So I ask you, will you continue to neglect his word and weaken your armor? Or will you bolster up? Will you find time to carve out of your day and get this word in front of your face so that you don't lose focus? Pray with me. Father, thank you for this time before your word. It is an immense privilege, Father, that you would allow me to preach it. It is an immense privilege to know that you have changed me by it. And I pray, God, that you would give everyone in this room an interest in the things that you have written, an interest in the things that you have preserved, so they might be transformed, so that they would not be caught up in this world but rather transformed in the renewing of their mind by intaking your word, by living by it, by letting it rule their lives so that nothing else will destroy it. I ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.